Hello and welcome to our first ever Movie City podcast. In our podcast, we are going to discuss and analyze many movies and TV shows. Before we begin, don't forget to join our Discord server and follow us on our social media. On the first show, we decided to talk about 2017's The Shape of Water, written and directed by Guillermo del Toro, starring Sally Hawkins, Michael Shannon, Richard Jenkins, Octavia Spencer, Michael Stilbach, and Doug Jones. At a top-secret research facility in the 1960s, a lonely janitor forms a unique relationship with an amphibious creature that is being held in captivity. The film won four Academy Awards in 2018, Best Directing, Best Movie, Best Original Score, and Best Production Design. Beware that there are spoilers. So, guys, what did you think about the movie? Uh, personally, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, the two hours of screen time that offers us are quite right and a good one too, uh, actually. My favorite part is the love story between Eliza and the creature, which we learn is not actually a creature, but uh, because she has emotions and feelings, he and he sold them uh, to Eliza. Um, Eliza, uh, we learn in the start of the movie that Eliza is mute. And in a way, that's uh, the best, uh, is something that they both have in common because as a creature, he can't talk. And they have something in common that, personally, that worked for me. I don't know about you guys. Uh, I, I also quite, quite liked their love story because it seemed natural and not like that she saw him and just fell in love immediately. The, she had the progression. Uh, a progression with her interactions with him at her at first he she saw him struggling fed him and tried to save him after that he she uh, declared that uh, him as a friend and after that she started to see him as a love interest and i think it was uh, quite uh, interesting and i think the whole movie was enjoyable and i think most of us liked it i don't know i I wasn't such a huge fan of the movie, but I totally get what you were saying about their love story. I think it was very interesting to realize that although Eliza is special since she's mute, she connects with the amphibian man. He's not a man exactly, but he's more than a creature, something that makes them connect. As you can see, like the scars that Eliza has on both sides of her neck look like exactly like gills in my opinion and i think that's something very interesting and i think that's something that they have in common besides that they can't talk so what you're trying to say that uh, uh in in a way it works for them uh... i think that they are similar although they are different because uh, again like it, it the amphibian man or whatever he's not a man He's not a human, he's a creature. He may be like a god, as they say, as Strickland says, but he's not a man. And that's something very interesting for me. But I think they are still similar, as I said before, because they can't communicate with their voice, but only with their expressions. Uh, for me personally, I think that the scars that Eliza had were made up in order to serve the the plot of the movie and one thought i had it was that the creature 
the amphibian man had made the scars on Eliza by an accident when she was young and after that she he would heal her or use them for for her living underwater but I think it was made up as Teldoro used it. I think that what you said makes a lot of sense because when we first like learn about the background and the story of Eliza we like I think I don't remember who said that. I think Zelda said that, but I'm not exactly sure. She said that they found her by the river. And that that I think like makes sense. Like what what you said makes sense since they said they found her by the river. Uh, I don't know. It feels uh, kind of stressed out for me. So uh, about what you said uh, for her for the scars on her neck that seem kind of made up i get what you're saying and why you see it from that point of view but i think it was more like a symbolism in order to show that although there are different because she's a human they have similarities and this was kind of their way to bond because it's not ju- it's not just they that they can't talk they have a chemistry of overall and i think that that was the unique part about their love story uh, obviously that's uh, what they were going for and i don't think there was uh, a backstory to her scars i'm not saying it's perfect just that i get what why they did it and i don't have a problem with it it, it doesn't bother me yeah yeah same but you know I don't yes, think okay. I don't think that the way they built their chemistry though is very I don't know in my opinion the whole like egg stuff like when when the fir- like when Eliza first met the creature she was afraid and then once she saw the creature again she started giving him like eggs and playing him music I think that was kind of I get why they did that but I think it's kind of awkward. It was something that I wasn't such a huge fan of. I don't really see it that way because it's, it goes to show that the creature has intelligence and it's above, if I can say, other animals that do not have the same intellect as him because the first people he saw in the facility were people that tortured him and used him for experiments and Liza was the only one that tried to save him and make a connection with him not just to he was afraid. gain a benefit. He was afraid, clearly. Yeah, but after that he, he saw that she was friendly to him and wanted to help him in some way and that I think contributed to their connection. And if you really think about it, they couldn't do anything, uh, something else. Uh, for exactly, they couldn't go to a movie bond or do something in that particular area uh, because she was something that uh, society had never seen before and would obviously be scared of. So they well, were I limited. Get, I, I get what you're saying, but still, I think, look, if, if that happened to you, to any of you, if you ever saw a creature like that, would you be so calm? Would you just sit next to it and like offer him food? 
Like, I don't know, I wouldn't do that. I, I would be afraid. And I think that's true for everyone. It was a wild creature. I don't know. Yeah, but when she first met him, he was injured. He was afraid, clearly, he was bleeding. So I think that's why they both kind of overlooked some facts and had the opportunity to bond. Like, they, they didn't ma uh, meet in the jungle, like, she wasn't uh, on Amazon, where the... Where yeah, yeah. On Amazon. But, yeah. but it still seems, like, crazy for me. I, I don't get it. Okay. I get what you're saying again, but still, it's kind of awkward. And I think everyone can agree with that. Because, like, you know, she's working on a in a facility that probably they do think similar to that. So, why? Why with that creature in particular? I don't know. I think it's because it looked more humane than other creatures that they may had because they call him in the credits amphibian man. So he's like a man, but not really. He has he has ability to do other things, but he cannot talk like Eliza and. And that makes him seem uh, humane in Eliza's eyes. Yeah, I get that. And again, besides that, I really like the love story because I think the creature cared about Eliza a lot. And, you know, when the creature helped Eliza, like, um, I don't know, the creature didn't help Eliza. The creature healed Eliza and from the bullets but also i think that the scene the in which eliza is singing in my opinion this one may be like a dream but i think it could also be true that eliza like could speak since like you know how did like the the when the creature like um touched um the head of like Giles' head, um, he he grow here, and I think when the creature touched Eliza, she she got her voice back. I may be wrong, but I think it makes sense. So yeah, I also like the love story between them, but I think they could have expanded uh, the side characters more. I think there's some interesting plots they could have put into the movie like with Giles they could have done something with his backstory maybe to, uh, maybe they could have talked a little bit more about his uh, sex, uh, sexual orientations um, I think they could have expanded his uh, story a little bit more uh, maybe talk about uh, his insecurities because back then it was difficult for gay people to uh, talk with someone openly, you know? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think it was very difficult for them to express themselves. And as we saw in the movie, Giles um, like, liked the, the diner, the waiter in the pie store. And he tried to approach him, he touched his hand and he told him that he would like to know him better. And the 
like the the waiter was like i would say surprised and at the same time afraid because he saw an old man coming to his store every day and then at the end he did try to hit on him and i think that made him very upset and i think that says a lot about the society back then he even asked him to leave the the store and never come back um, yeah. yeah, same thing with uh, um, the African Americans uh, when they went into the store and told them to leave. And I think they there's a a lot of discrimination back then. Yeah, and I think and... the movie shows that perfectly. I think it's very dis- descriptive and like yeah. even Zelda had the same issues with Strickland. Uh, when Strickland talked about God, um, he said, do you know how God looks? And she said, how can I know? And then he said, he looks like us, like you and me. And then he says, most probably more like me than you. So I think that, yeah, again, the racism during this era was really bad. And I think that the movie shows that perfectly. Yeah, I think that uh, that line there that Strickland said uh, shows that he had a God complex and um, he was a perfectionist and he just uh, always wanted to win and he always wanted to be on top of everything. In a matter of fact, since you mentioned the waiter that um, uh, with Giles, I think that the waiter could also uh, like him liked him back but he was afraid like he showed that that he was afraid so he didn't accept his emotions like embrace them to show them to Giles. I think, I think that's a really good point because as we said it's a very like strict society it was a strict society back then and not everyone was very accepting and I get what you're saying, because at the beginning, I also thought that the waiter had feelings for Giles. Since he offered him a free pie, she asked him to visit them again and stuff. She had a conversation with him. I thought that they had similar feelings for each other. But at the end, we see that... I don't know if it, if he reacted like that, because if you saw that, like, on the background, you can see three ladies watching them and he said that this is a family business and i think probably the ladies there were part of his family and i think he, he could be afraid for his business though i don't I, yeah this could be also true but i think he was afraid to to express himself in front of his family members but yeah you may be correct as well All right. And obviously in the 60s, uh, being gay, running a business wasn't a good picture for anyone. Uh, it wasn't accepted. So guys, uh, what did you think about the main antagonist of the movie, Strickland? I personally think he was the most interesting character in the movie. As, as someone else said before, um, he had some power issues. He wanted to be the best. He wanted to be on top of everything. And I think that's what made him very interesting. I think that 
<clears throat> when he started to lose control over the asset, as he called it, and started, the, and the general started to lose faith uh, on him, he he truly showed who he was and showed that he was kind of uh, brainwashed. And the the fact that he wanted to be controlled can be seen in the personal moment he has with his wife, as he wants her to shut up and let him do whatever he wants and <clears throat> in general thing is Strickland didn't care about anything else than just uh, getting the asset back to the lab dead or alive he didn't care if he killed any other uh, people or even his boss he, I think if he pissed him off more he would have killed him I get he killed him like Nah, he he was talking about the boss. She tried to. Uh, he but... killed Eliza. Not, I think he killed Eliza, but then. The creature revived her. Yeah, I think it. I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I think if he got a bit more like crazy, because as you see, he was taking that pills very often. I don't know what these pills were for, but I think that, um, in addition with like how nervous he was about finding the creature. And I don't think he actually cared about finding the creature. He cared about his name. He didn't want anyone to think that he wasn't capable of like um, keeping the asset for the American government. I think- To feel all, powerful. Yeah, he wanted to feel powerful. Um, I think all that made him like lose control. I think that made him a bit crazy. A prime example is uh, when he went to Zelda's house to get information about the asset. He went out of his way to lie and shake uh, Zelda's husband's hand, which under normal circumstances she wouldn't have done that. And he, that shows how much he wanted to remain in control and have the upper hand. I get what you're saying, but in that scene, I think... For me, um, the thing that shows me that he lost his mind was when he like ripped off his fingers. I think that was disgusting and it was like crazy. Why? Why would he do that? He, yeah, I think that shows us that he's, he's, he's he was losing, mentally ill. Yeah, he was mentally ill. He was mentally ill. While we have Strickland, um, who is who cares only for for himself and. He just um, wants to play God. Uh, on the other hand, we have Dimitri, um, who is a man of science, and he just wants to help the creature uh, because he wants to understand it more and he wants to improve um, humanity with his scientific research. And I think that's something very important in the movie because we see a different, like, we see that besides bad in the world, there is good. Dimitri, although he's a Soviet, I think that is that this is very important because, like, we see that besides bad, uh, which is represented by Strickland, we have good, which is represented by Dimitri. Dimitri, although he is like a Soviet spy, who is working for the American government. Um, when the Russians ask him to, when Soviets ask him to kill the amphibian man, he 
he's very skeptical and he doesn't want to do that. He, he even lies and that I think costs him like his life um, to help the creature stay alive. And he also tries to help science to move a step forward. I think that Dimitri kept alive the asset, uh, the amphibian man, because he saw that he could engage in communication and understanding with another human. And I think that that changed his opinion on him and wanted him to stay alive, not only for his uh, scientific purposes, for the reason that he found a creature that could communicate with the, with another human. And I think that Dimitri is purely obeying uh, science because he, he said that he's a Soviet, uh, I don't know, commander or what was he, that he, be, that he came uh, to America in order to serve uh, science and uh, learn. And <clears throat> the Soviets have used him for their... Uh, benefit uh, throughout the war. I think Dimitri was, uh, you know, uh, the sound of logic in the movie because she, as a scientist, it's his nature to want uh, to discover new stuff and killing the asset wouldn't help the cause, that particular cause. Uh, because, you know, he, he saw that he, was, uh, he had uh, intelligence above the ordinary animals on Earth. And as a scientist, it, was, it would be out of character to not uh, explore more of, his, of the asset's uh, nature. And something I forgot, I think that his relations with the Russians and him being a spy needed a bit more development because it didn't seem to me like he was a man that could uh, use an, an asset, as, if I can say it, in order to gain a benefit. I think the sublet with the Russians was just uh, enough, uh, enough uh, screen time they needed because you take away from the important thing of the story, which was uh, the uh, relationship between uh, the creature and Eliza. Uh, you know, it would overshadow uh, that part of the movie. I think Dimitri was the most humane character of all. Um, why do I why do I think that? Uh, the reason is that, besides, as we said, he's very he's like a very logical person. He tries to help, like the good and like he he represents as i said the good in the movie um he also shows a different character a beast of and like not very like smart character when he when he is dying i think when strickland is killing um uh dimitri um i think that he's doing something very foolish by saying when, when Strickland is asking him who got the creature, what are their ranks and where are they? He said, no ranks, no names. It was just cleaners. And I think that's something very, like, I, I don't expect to see that 
uh, and hear that by Dimitri. I think he did that just in order to end his suffering and die a bit more peacefully because uh, Strickland was abusing his wounds that he caused and the other Russians did. But didn't he think that... Didn't he think about the possibility that the creature wasn't like like in the ocean yet and that probably Eliza had feelings for the creature and that by doing that he risked their life both of Eliza and especially the creature something that he wanted to protect and he lost his life by protecting that I think it's I think it's ironic I think that Dimitri just uh, wanted to boast that um just the cleaning staff alone uh, was needed to um, actually get that creature uh, out of there and no uh, Russian spies or anyone with uh, actual combat training. And he was proud of that, maybe. And he wanted to tell Strickland that uh, he was defeated by, by mere cleaning ladies. Yeah, that's a very good point because he wanted to show him that he's not as smart as he thinks he is and everything happened under his nose without him even realizing. Not even a bit. I think, yeah, that's a very good point. So do you want to add anything else about Strickland or Dimitri? I was thinking we could move on to a little bit, you know, outside of the script-wise stuff. Like, know, like the actors. Oh, the actors? Yes. Uh, I wanted to specifically point out that uh, Sally Hawkins, the actress that plays uh, Eliza, does an amazing job to always be with her, feel her emotions, understanding her, without talking. Like, except the dream sequence, which is okay. Uh, you get why she's doing everything, what she's feeling, without talking. Like, body language on its own entirely like <laughs> well done that's the only thing i'm saying i think all the actors played their part perfectly in the movie i think sure, eliza sure. I, eliza was like the one that everyone like loved the most uh, because you talk about the body, the body language, language of eliza i think that the amphibian man the actor also did a really good job depicting his emotions and what he wanted to express by not uh, talking with, by not having the ability to talk. And I think that especially when he did the sign language uh, thing to Elisa to show her that he wanted to eat, I think it was a really nice touch. And in general, the way he moved was uh, exceptional. Yes, uh, Doug Jones. Is kind of his thing. Del Toro like uh, uh, cast him, cast him on every single like that role. Uh, Pale Man, Hellboy Two. He he gets him. <laughs> he knows he can do it correctly, and I think he delivers every time. I think that both both actors um, make us realize that it's very important to express yourself and that you can do that without speaking i think that's that's the point of the whole uh, movie i think that you can come close to someone by only 
showing him or her your true emotions. It's, it, it's amazing. It's a movie where both uh, the two main protagonists don't speak. It's, it's yeah. remarkable. Yeah, that's, that's something very nice about the movie. Also, uh, Michael um, Stilberg did an awesome job uh, at the antagonist. You can feel that he's angry. You can feel that he's uh, jealous sometimes, his emotions, and his I rage. Think, I think, again, that it's ironic that someone like Eliza can express your feelings, in my opinion, better than Strickland. I think Strickland can't express him, his feelings. You're talking character-wise, not Yeah, yeah, character-wise. No, 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 character-wise. I think I Eliza so. has, like, something very special. She's very special, and we can see that throughout the movie. Yeah, I think that Strickland did didn't express his feelings as much because he was a soldier and I think a high-ranking one. And because I think when you are at war or a soldier, you don't want to show emotion and basically feel anything in order to focus on your goal to win. And I think that's a detail if she if she intended to do that. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, and we can see that. Although Eliza is mute, she's like a better person and a very like most like I think she's most she's more approachable than Strickland. I think Strickland has like he only cares about himself, as we said, and can't actually express what he's thinking. The only time that Strickland expresses himself by his actions is when he he's getting crazy and he tries to kill the amphibian man. I think that Strickland was able to express his feelings at the end because he achieved he thought uh, he achieved his goal to <clears throat> to gain back the asset and it showed that he has a, had a very a strong sense of purpose, although his purpose was wrong in a way. He it showed that he he has character. He's not just the bad guy of the movie that needs to be bad because he's the antagonist. Yeah, I think everyone in this movie is unique, even the antagonist. And I think that's what makes the movie like one of the like a very interesting one. So uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, you know, uh, more technical things. The movie doesn't have a lot of uh, CGI. That's because of Del Toro. He does practical effects on every movie he does. And the practical effects here are mostly uh, the costume for the creature, the amphibian man. Wait, and you mean it's, it's a costume, it's not CGI? Yeah, it's a costume. Oh, I thought If you go and look at the behind the scenes, it's mostly a costume, and he has like a little CGI rendering around his uh, armpits uh -huh. to be a little bit more smoothly with the skin. But mostly, it's a costume. That's that's impressive. Yeah. And it, it's kind of a Del Toro's a thing to do that. And I wanted to point out the detail that I loved most about the costume is the way that he blinks. Did you notice it? It's like sideways blinking. 
Yeah, and it has a membrane that goes across his eyes before he opens them wide open. It's amazing. Like, <laughs> yeah, if, if he did that without the CGI, it's marvelous. I don't know. Yeah, it, it has a bit of CGI, but it's mostly a costume. Practical. Uh, a lot of practical. It goes to show that. Big budget movies don't always need CGI. You can achieve uh, greatness with practical effects. Yes, yeah, no, something else I really liked about the creature was the color that Del Toro chose to use. Uh, what do you think about that? I uh, I also wanted to point this out because it's not the color of his skin that a uh, green blue the tail color. It's like the whole movie grading it's like you're watching it through a green uh, filter and there are many um you know like background stuff in this color the color is like everywhere uh, at the lab uh, at the restrooms of the lab at the costumes of the um, uh, cleaning ladies uh, at the water that both on the pool on the lab and on the bathtub on the bathtub's water that in a, in Eliza's house when the creature gets there uh, at the villain's car Strickland's car is that color and it makes like a pretty interesting contrast with the, the reds because the only red we practically see is blood which is always kind of uh, mixed with water I think that the biggest clue that he wanted to point this out is uh, Giles makes like a painting at a certain point to the film and it has a jello which is green and he tries to sell it and the buyer says to him that to turn it into red so you know it ties up with this amazing i think it's a brilliant and very very beautiful uh grading the entire movie really good frames like it's a, it's a joy to your eyes. Uh, I think that the way the creature uh, lit up when he healed or uh, when he healed was also a very nice touch of uh, blue. And, yeah. and I think it connected to his natural habitat, which is water. Yeah, sure. And the aspect ratio on the movie is... A pretty interesting one. It's a 1.85 to 1, which is kind of rare. You, you don't see it every day. They mostly use that like uh, two decades ago. Nowadays, not that much. But I liked it. I think that you can see the frame pretty pretty well. And, you know, it it has a, it has a depth. And, yeah, overall, it's really good. Also, the movie is shot digital, not in film. And it has some frames that I thought it was film. Completely, like uh, waters and reflections. I thought it was film. But it's uh, digitally digitally shot. So, yeah, good job with that also. I think in general, the cinematography and the scenery is uh, very beautiful and pleasing to the eye. Uh, because in almost every shot he has a contrast between colors or shades and everything. Yes. 
You know which scene uh, stands up uh, really beautifully? The dream sequence. I mentioned that earlier. It's like a black and white sequence that, like from a from an old movie, 60s. <laughs> and Eliza is singing. I, I think it could be connected to, you know, the fact that uh, Eliza has like a theater, uh, theater uh, outside her house. I don't know. But it, it's a beautiful scene overall, even if it's not connected in that way. Uh, for me, the best scenes uh, were the ones uh, where uh, uh, either Streetland or Eliza and the creature were on the rain uh, standing. I think the rain uh, hitting the ground and the sound and everything was on pointer. I really enjoyed it. I don't know what you guys feel about this. <laughs> yeah, I think that was very beautiful. I think music, picture, everything was beautiful. Yeah, technical-wise, sure. And I, I don't... Th I think it was Dolby Atmos. Not sure. I didn't see it in I Dolby Atmos. it was uh, 5.1, not... Uh... So, yeah, it's uh, 5.1. But, yeah, it's really good for uh, 5.1. And do you want to point... Uh... Anything else? Uh, you know, sco uh, the score of the movie, the original score, although it won an Oscar, I don't think it was that remarkable. Uh, I've heard it on Spotify, you know, uh, outside of the movie context. And it, it's good. I'm not saying it's bad, but, you know, not that um, you're going to hear, uh, hear it in repeat all the time and it's going to stay that much with you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, soundtracks uh, uh, are not uh, the thing that stands out in the movie. For me, personally. I I'm not saying it's bad. It's good. I just don't think it was that remarkable. Yeah, that's think... what I'm saying. Yeah, but I think that he didn't give that much attention or importance to the music because he wanted to showcase a bit more the the interactions and the emotions of the characters and how they reacted in their environment and the only movie the only music that it's uh, clearly clearly heard is the one that uh, Eliza or uh, Giles puts on the pickup uh, machine so what you're trying to say is the need was intentional. No, no, I think that uh, purposely Del Toro didn't give that much of an importance to the music or... I, for, I liked the score, but I think he didn't want it to be loud or uh, that much in order to serve more of the interactions of the characters. I just expected a little bit more from uh, Alexander uh, Desplat. Because he writes good music. Like, uh, in Deathly Hallows, I love his works. And here it was a little bit weaker, and that was an Oscar. That's what I'm pointing out. Okay, I think uh, there have been many Oscars that didn't deserve it. But... Yeah, okay, that, that's a whole other conversation, of course, but... Okay. Yeah. So, guys, uh, I think that was mostly what we all wanted to say.
does anyone has anything else to point out or comment on? No, I think the key aspects of the movie. Uh, so do you want to wrap things up uh, by giving a world score? Yes. Uh, for me personally, I would give it a solid uh, 7.5. Okay, I, I didn't really like it that much, so I'm going to give it a 6.5, let's say, somewhere right there. Uh, yeah. So, for me, I usually uh, really love Del Toro's works. And this is a really, really good movie and one of his best. I think it deserves the Oscar. And... If it didn't have that little thing that I wanted to explore a little bit more with uh, Giles, it would have been perfect. So, 8.5 out of 10. I also quite liked the movie. I liked the, the characters, the score, the scenery. And I think I would give it uh, something between an 8 and an 8.5. But I think I'll, I'll stick with 8.5. Okay. I would say okay, look, I liked the movie as I said, but um I wasn't such a huge fan. I liked the love story besides the part besides how they they started like communicating with each other. I think this one wasn't like really good in my opinion. I liked the sound, I liked the pictures, I liked all the characters, but I I think some of them needed more like development especially your backstory was like uh, like was something important for me that we didn't see so i would give the movie a 6.5 all right so that means that if we add all the scores together we get a 37.5 out of 50 that's that's a very good score Okay, mine wasn't like the best rating, and I think that's that's what is deducting more points. But I still, I I still think it's a really good score for the movie. Yeah, and I think if someone that hasn't seen it at the end has two hours to spare, should see it. I think everyone should definitely like see the movie. It's a very good one. Yeah, overall we recommend it. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, the... yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Thank you very much for listening to our first podcast episode. Follow us here on Spotify and don't forget to join our Discord server linked in the description below. That's like our headquarters. You will be able to learn what the movie of the week will be way before the actual episodes. Discuss the film with other people and if you're lucky, who knows, maybe you can join us as a guest. You will learn tons of movies and TV show news to our new segment and will be able to join special events that we are planning. You can also follow us on all our Movie City social media. We will see you all next time.